Today on Ag News Daily. The dry fertilizer industry will flat tell us always that banding is more efficient. Just a simple band is two to three times more efficient than broadcasting. And then if we can go in the seed trench with a good quality liquid starter like we recommend. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily podcast sponsored today by the National Pork Board. Request your free on-farm sustainability report at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability. Ashton, it is a Friday indeed. We are just one week away from Christmas, so we'll be heading off for a little extended holiday season. So next week is our final podcast week of 2021. So I got a couple of fun questions to ask you off the top here. Are you ready? Okay, I'm prepared. Okay. Uh, we should probably turn this into like a trivia game next week. But first question, I'll just ask you one. I'll save some for next week. What are your three favorite holiday Christmas songs? Oh, goodness. I am a big fan of Casey Musgraves. And she had a Christmas special that came out, I think, two years ago now. So I really love her Christmas album. But I think my favorite off of that one has got to be Glittery. So it's not your typical Christmas song. But I love that one. Um, Of course, Silent Night, that's got to be up there too. And then um, I'll Be Home for Christmas is is another favorite. Okay, those are good. I think my three favorite are White Christmas, uh, Paul McCartney's Wonderful Christmas Time, and is it called Baby? It's Oh, Baby, It's Cold Outside. Those are probably my top three non-religious songs. That's those are good ones as well. But I think that we also have to give like a special shout out to Elvis's blue Christmas. Oh, yes. Very true. I just thought about that one after I said my top three, but that one definitely gets some recognition as well. I'm curious what our listeners favorite Christmas song is. We'll have to put out a little Twitter or Facebook thing. So listeners share with us your favorite Christmas song. Maybe we can do a little special announcement or a little special interaction with our listeners over the next week. So I got a couple ideas up my sleeve, Ashton, to make uh, the holiday season fun for the podcast and for our listeners. Well, Delaney, we certainly have some treats coming next week as we have some interesting and fun episodes coming at them next week. But for now, we've got to talk some news. And unfortunately, what I'm kicking things off with isn't the best news, but it's a follow-up, of course, on the storms that hit Kentucky last Friday. So just about a week ago is when they were first starting and they, of course, developed through the weekend. But we've seen some news or some statements come from Pilgrim's Pride because they have a hatchery there in Mayfield, Kentucky, which is the big town, one of the hardest hit communities that we have really been seeing things come out of. And this loss from Pilgrim's Pride there is expected to create a multi-month delay in the processing and raising of chickens. At least a dozen chicken barns were also destroyed and farmers are working with the EPA to kill the remaining chickens that lived in the barn. So I don't know if... There's just so little chickens that remain that they are, you know, going to go ahead and process them or what's going to happen. But some unfortunate news for those hatcheries there in Kentucky. Yeah, I saw that piece of news as well. So I'm glad that you mentioned it, Ashton. Certainly still dealing with the aftermaths of those tornadoes that swept through. I, From what I've read so far, I'm not seeing 
super extensive damage from the storms, the wind really that swept through parts of the Midwest. But here's an interesting little nuance because the other day, I think I mentioned this yesterday on the podcast, you know, I walked outside and I could smell it was smoky and there were fires that started in Kansas from this really extremely dry weather. And you could smell them all the way here in Iowa. That's how strong those winds were. And I don't really understand the science behind how it carries that smoke smell all the way here. But uh, mostly sounds like there's just a lot of dust and uh, some damage. I won't say that everyone went untouched, but definitely nothing compared to the Kentucky tornadoes. Well, Delaney, I guess I should have kicked things off with this little news story that I had to talk about because it's a little bit more upbeat. But I'm wanting to know if you're familiar with Elf on the Shelf. Yes, I am very familiar with that. My niece and nephew love Elf on the Shelf. I think their elf's name is Bugs. <laughs> See, I figured that you knew of it just because of them, but I wanted to make sure that I saw an article on Ag Daily that featured a couple of farm-themed Elf on the Shelves, and I, I thought that it was super cute, but they have you know the Elf on the Shelf feeding the chickens, and they have one that's riding his tractor and one that's hiding in you know the feed bins in the feed room, and I thought it was really cute, really funny, because we have done some of these things, of course, with my little sister's Elf on the Shelf. So I shared it on Global Ag Network, or it's going to come out later this afternoon as I scheduled it. But I thought it was pretty cute. And hopefully I gave you some good visuals as well. I like that. I can't wait to see that, Ashton. But other than that, Delaney, that wasn't really a piece of news. But I do have a follow up to the bird flu I was going to say, you know, pandemic, epidemic. I don't know if it's really been identified. I think it's epidemic. Yeah. I get confused with all of these words, but we have seen that France now has detected bird flu on a duck farm in the southwest portion of the country. Now, these ducks are on a farm that's really growing these ducks for liver pate. So I thought that, that was pretty interesting because I have never indulged in liver pate. Don't know if you have Delaney. Can't say I have. <laughs> it doesn't sound that appetizing, but maybe it's a French thing. <laughs> Maybe that could be very true. But just last year, the duck farms in France culled 30 million ducks because of a bird flu wave. So I am wondering if we're going to see the same thing happen here because the ducks on this affected site, as well as flocks on seven other nearby farms are all going to be slaughtered to stem the spread of the virus. So not great news. No, it certainly does not sound that way, Ashton. Not a very Friday episode, is it? I suppose not. I'm trying to throw some positivity in there when I can, but not a whole lot of positivity today, to be honest. Well, actually, here's one piece of news that I think is somewhat positive and also super interesting. But before I get to that piece of news, Ashton, I mentioned today that we are sponsored by the National Pork Board. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right, not only for the people and pigs, but also for the planet. However, doing what's right must be shared with today's savvy consumers to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate. To measure and document your farm's sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. 
These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability. Now, I mentioned I have a more fun and upbeat piece of news here, but John Deere has been teasing this pretty extensively here over the past couple of weeks in some social media posts, giving a peek behind the curtain for what's coming in 2022 as we look down the road to autonomy. They have posted a video detailing the next introduction of the sea and spray lineup, which is going to be pretty exciting. And it's going to talk about weed control and new technology. And next month, they will be at the Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas, running a campaign that says nothing runs like a deer autonomously. And so we don't know what this new piece of equipment is going to look like yet. Of course, everyone is speculating that it's going to be some sort of driverless or, you know, personless technology, but that is coming down the pipeline. And I I can't give too much away, but I've heard, I've been involved in a couple of conversations that that autonomy is coming from a couple of different companies here in 2022. So I think we've got some really exciting things in front of us in the ag sector next year. Well, I had not heard about that, Delaney, but it definitely has me excited. So I'm glad that you shared that piece of news. And I just have one other thing that I wanted to talk about today. And I suppose it's a little bit exciting as well. So hopefully we're ending on a high note here. But it is coming from the U.S. Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, as we have seen that some of our port issues may be coming to an end. And I say some because I think it's kind of a rough estimate here, but it was said that the actions that they've put in place so far, including the threat of fines to make sure that shippers are really being responsible, that we've seen in some of the ports that 50 to 60 percent reductions in the rate of those containers that are just sitting at these ports. And that has been since early November. And we've seen a couple of different things come about, like opening 24-7, opening ports 24-7, including these threat of fines. So I think that we're starting to see some movement here. Again, it's just about 50 to 60% reduction. But I think with time, we are hopefully going to be back at full speed. Well, we certainly could use that little bump in potential exports there. But... Speaking of exports, we mentioned earlier this week that China is going to be reinstating some of those tariffs on pork products in 2022, but we didn't really give an indication of why. Well, we've got some more background on that. China has come forward and say that they are now in a pork supply glut after pushing so hard to rebuild after African swine fever decimated a lot of their hog herd. They're saying so much so that really inventory is well ahead of where it typically is. They lowered their tariffs on frozen pork back in 2020 from 12 to 8%, but they said that they really are back on track here to getting quite a few frozen products back in storage. You know, we talked a lot on the podcast over the past year about how they've trickled out things from cold storage and had to tap into reserves, but it seems that they are building those reserves back up very quickly and they're in a supply glut. Now, of course, you also have to take this with a grain of salt because China may just be sharing pieces of news here and there to manipulate the market or change information that is available. But from all accounts, it does seem that their hog herd is pretty much rebuilt to pre-ASF levels, Ashton. 
Well, Delaney, that is quite a surprise, but I am a lot of news for today if you're ready to chat markets. I think I certainly am here, Ashton, and I've been covering markets today for Successful Farming, so I've been keeping a close eye on them today. We certainly saw quiet markets when we opened this morning, but pushed higher through the mid-session into closing today. But before I get into today's closing market prices, Ashton, I wanted to remind folks, of course, that we are sponsored by the National Pork Board this week. As a pig farmer, you know that sustainability is doing what's right for the people, pigs, and planet. And we talked about this a few weeks ago with Ross Mogler. So be sure to check out that past episode if you have not done so. And we talk a little bit more about this. But Ross also shared that consumers are becoming more and more savvy. So to help grow public trust in pig farming while protecting your freedom to operate, it's important to understand these data and sustainability efforts. To measure and document your farm sustainability efforts, National Pork Board encourages you to create a free on-farm sustainability report. These reports can help increase production efficiencies and improve your bottom line. Request your free report at porkcheckoff.org slash sustainability. And as I mentioned today, Ashton, we certainly saw grains push a little higher to end this Friday afternoon. March corn finished up a penny and a quarter to close at 592 and a half. The May up a penny to close at 593 and three quarters. In the soybean pits, we were up as much as 17 cents at one point on the day. Couldn't quite pull through on those big moves. The January contract up just seven and a half cents today to close at 12.84 and three quarters. The March up nine and three quarters cents closing at 12.88. And we did, I want to make a quick mention, have a pretty good export sale announced this morning of 132,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to China, which certainly helped push markets higher throughout the trading session. March wheat followed suit with the rest of the grains today, closing four and three quarters cents higher, ending at 775 and a quarter of the May, up three and a quarter, closing the day out at 778 and a quarter. Hopping over to take a look at the livestock markets today, we saw weakness across pretty much the entire protein complex. February live cattle down 62 and a half cents, closing at 136.42. The April down 35 cents, closing at a buck 40.60. And in feeder cattle today, that weakness continued with the January contract shedding $2.35 and a half cents to close at 160.25. The March down $2.62.5, closing at $161.70. And in lean hogs, there really was only one bright spot here for the protein markets, and that was February lean hogs, which added $0.45 cents today, closing at $80.80. The April down a dime, closing at $84.77.5. Lastly, wrapping things up here with the Class 3 dairy milk futures. The January down 28 cents today, closing at 1933. The February down 24, closing at 1970. Ashton, without further ado, fill us in on who we're chatting with for today's Friday interview. Well, we are talking about a better way to farm with Rod Livesey. Well, today we have on Rod Livesey of A Better Way to Farm here to talk about input costs and really what we're going to see, I guess, heading here into 2022. Rod, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Oh, Ashton, thank you for the opportunity. So, Rod, before we really get started talking here, I want to know a little bit more about you and A Better Way to Farm. How did this come to be? <laughs> well, we've been in agriculture our whole life, Ashton, and uh, our 
the things that are really important to us are our church, uh, working for God, living on our farm, loving our family, and then helping other farmers. And a better way to farm was uh, birthed 29 years ago. I was working in the seed corn industry, and I wanted to do something different. And so we came and we started a, a marketing team, but we have a big group of people who have studied very diligently in order to find the best way to do inputs so that guys get the most bang for their buck. I'm very blessed. I have four children. They're all actively involved in the business. And we have been surrounded by a group of people who just really, really dig ag and spend every day reading and learning and doing the best we can to help growers. So that's us in a nutshell. And I want to dive a little bit more into that before we talk about input costs here, because one of the things on the Better Way to Farm website is the farm profit score. What are you guys doing there? What are you calculating? Well, what we're doing is giving the guys an opportunity to just take a, a micro shot of what it is that we're doing, what we what we know to be the best, most efficient way. And, and it's it's eye-opening because we have guys who take that test and they're scoring 100. And so there's still things that they can do to do better. We literally have people coming in with scores of 22 to 28, which means their opportunity to improve their operation is just astronomically huge. So, Rod, let's go ahead and get into the good stuff here. Really, the reason that we had you on today is to talk about farm input costs. We've seen a couple of things skyrocket here. So can you just take us through a refresher course on really what we're seeing? Of course, fertilizer prices are up there, but what else are we seeing? Well, it's kind of the perfect storm. Uh, we've had we had some of the major players in the uh, phosphorus potassium market went and threw a screaming hissy fit and Congress put tariffs on so that they couldn't, we cannot import uh, nutrients from other countries. So that really shortened up the supply. And then some of them shut down their own mines here in North America, which further tightened up the supply. Then you throw in the COVID mess and all of the transportation and just supply chain nightmares that are happening. And now all of a sudden we have the supply squeezed down to nothing. You couple that with the perfect storm. We know that every time corn prices, bean prices get better, uh, most of your suppliers base their pricing on a percentage of revenue. We do not do that, but that's how the industry as a general rule does it. And so they wanted to raise it up because the inputs, you know, because the prices of corn and beans went up. So they raised their inputs. And so we've got really, really just the perfect storm here of things doing just to drive prices in a skyrocket method. And um, it's it's very tough because it's putting a pinch on guys. So, Rod, one of the things I think that you guys are pretty big on about um, on a better way to farm is some keys to counter these high input costs. So why don't you walk us through those five keys on what farmers can do to counter these costs? Well, it's interesting because I just read a survey. We do have the five keys, actually, and I'll run through them briefly here. I know everybody's busy, but I appreciate them tuning in. The key number one is soil testing. And it's interesting because I read a survey. It's not super current, but it's not that old. It's less than 10 years old. And in a certain state that shall remain nameless, the farmers were surveyed and they said, do you think that you should soil test? And 82% of the farmers said, absolutely, we think we should soil test. The next question was, do you soil test? And 28% of the farmers were actually soil testing. So that it's such a huge, huge disconnect there between what we know we should do and what we don't and what we're not doing. 
And so soil testing for us is key. And our soil testing, Ashton, is uh, very different because we're not looking at NPK alone. We're looking at all of the secondaries and all the micros. And that's going to fit into step two. When we do a good soil test, it shows us our limiting factor. And so Ashton, what we want to look for is not to say, okay, if we just put on a lot more N or a lot more P or a lot more K, what can we do? What we look at is say, we're going to spend these dollars, X number of dollars, and we want to spend them as intelligently as we can. And it might be that manganese is what's keeping our yield limited or magnesium or calcium or sulfur. And so we look at the entire package of all the nutrients that that plant needs to grow. And step two is to use micronutrients. Appropriate, proper micronutrients can make huge, huge differences in yield. And a lot of farmers have never addressed those. And micronutrients are really example of the four R's because there are certain elements that we can put out there in the wrong form that will never become available. And so it's important that those micros that we put on be in the appropriate form. The third thing we look at is row place starter because we know, according to the Fertilizer Institute handbook, that the dry fertilizer industry will flat tell us always that banding is more efficient. Just a simple band is two to three times more efficient than broadcasting. And then if we can go in the seed trench with a good quality liquid starter, like we recommend, now all of a sudden it's five times more efficient than broadcast phosphorus or potassium. The fourth key we believe is in getting control of the nitrogen. Nitrogen costs are really high. And it has been a much overused nitrate, uh, nutrient, excuse me, a much overused nutrient. And we're actually on our podcast right now. We are doing a, a series called the 12 Days of Nutrients. And we spend a lot of time on how these nutrients interact with each other. And when we look at that, the fact that we overuse nitrogen oftentimes really screws up the growth in the plant and doesn't allow a lot of things to happen that should. And so we want to dial that in. And use exactly what we need, no more, no less. And then we want to talk about how we can stabilize it so we get by with less and still get the same result. And Ashton, the fifth thing that we talk about, and this is where a lot of guys, they don't want to do it. And I understand because some guys, you know, they're using a dry fertilizer dealer or a co-op or somebody to do their spraying. And they say, that's my hired man. And I get that and I understand it. Ashton, what we're looking for is, you know, got to do the best we can. But I firmly believe that growers who have their own sprayer and do their own spraying control their destiny. And there's a lot of money to be made by the farmers doing this and doing it correctly. So Rod, another thing on your website is taking control of inputs. And, you know, you just went over these five keys and there's quite a few things that farmers can do to start taking control of these costs. But what's the first thing that you that you advise that they do? Because it can be a little bit daunting. There's so many options, so many things that they can do. So what's the first step that you would advise a producer to take to get control of these input costs? Well, honestly, I, should, I, I mean, soil testing is key. But I think before that, we believe strongly in education. And our whole marketing deal is educational marketing. We're not out selling anything. We do a two-day Fundamentals of Agronomy seminar. And so in my opinion, these guys need to find somebody that they can trust and somebody who can give them a list of people that have had success. And, and school is never out in agriculture. And I invite them to come back and go through our two-day Fundamentals of Agronomy seminar, or I invite them to find somebody and start working on how to get more efficient and get better. And then the first step after that 
after improving themselves and, and improving their education is going to be complete and total soil testing. Well, Rod, there is certainly a lot going on over at A Better Way to Farm. So if any of our listeners want to learn a little bit more about you, the things that you guys are doing, where can they find you at online and where might they be able to find your podcast? Well, if they type in uh, A Better Way to Farm on the podcast platform of their choice, they should get us just A Better Way to Farm. Uh, We have a Facebook page with over 100,000 followers, and we have put up over 700 videos aimed at information. Uh, we're not big on entertainment. We are big on uh, on doing value things to the farmer. I'm actually, when we finish here, I'm going to go put up the next session on A Better Way to Farm, the Facebook page of the 12 Days of Nutrients. And today we're going to be doing sulfur. They can also reach us at, with a phone call or a text at 641-919-1206. Awesome. Well, Rod, thank you again so much for coming on and chatting with us today. We certainly appreciate it. Thank you for the opportunity, Ashton. Thanks again there to Rod for coming on and chatting with us. They have their website and it has a few things that are pretty interesting when it comes to input costs. And of course, as we head into 2022 here, I think that's a big thing that's going to be on a lot of producers' minds. Yeah, it certainly sounds that way. And it's crazy to think we're almost here to 2022, Ashton. I honestly cannot believe it. And I was just thinking the other day that this is the second Christmas that I've spent with the network. So I'm pretty excited to hit that milestone. Well, that is so nice of you to say, Ashton. (laughs) Well, Delaney, I'm glad that we're ending with some positive things here. But folks, if you want to tune into the Ag News Daily podcast while you're doing some holiday travel, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com. And again, next week is going to be our last week of podcasting. Although it's going to be cut short, our last episode will be on Thursday, but be sure to tune in to that. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.